One of my favorite things about this show is that I get the opportunity to hang out and talk with other directors. I've said it in the past, I feel like our business, as, as being a director in this business, is oftentimes a very lonely uh, creative job. Um, it, it's a weird thing to say because you are interacting with so many different people and you're working with cinematographers and you're working with actors and you're working with location people, like hundreds and hundreds of people if you're a larger director. Um, but it still feels pretty lonely as far as interacting with your peers. And uh, one of the big reasons why I started to do this podcast was have like a valid excuse, <laughs> a valid reason to start to have conversations with uh, directors that I love, that I respect, um, people that I followed for years. Um, and today's episode is, is a great one for me. It's an exciting one for me because uh, I have followed today's guest for quite some time. Um, I had seen his work years and years ago uh, on Vimeo, and, and this guy has had I don't know how many staff picks on Vimeo, like to the point where it's like, are you just buying these? <laughs> He's got so many of them, and his uh, his like video essays, his short films, his music videos—they all stand out. He's got such an amazing style, um, and he's just not a—he's not a household name yet because he hasn't done a feature, uh, which is the the dilemma that I'm in as well. Where it's as soon as you make that feature film, as soon as you make that larger film, then everybody knows who you are. He's at that. Like once he makes a film, once he does this feature film, everybody's gonna know who he is. Uh, his work is just fucking fantastic. It's emotionally driven. The photography is always just stunning. I know that Kruda and I have been a huge fan of his work for quite some time. Uh, he's a big influence for that. And then as a director, I look at his stuff and I am consistently in awe with how he creates such real moments such true, passionate moments that from, uh, and I, knowing that he works in commercials, knowing that he works with music videos, um, it's like, how the fuck do you plan these? You know, how do you make these things work? Uh, so I'm excited about today's show and uh, I'm happy that you guys are here and welcome to my recording space where it is so fucking hot right now in Los Angeles that I have to leave all the windows open. And apparently during uh, coronavirus time, you're allowed to do construction. So what you're hearing in the background is uh, quarantine being broken. Right? So that's what's going on here in California. Um, thank you, everybody, for joining. Very excited for today's guest. Um, uh, he's a director. Uh, like I said, I'm a big fan of him. It's, his name is uh, Solomon Lithelum. I think I said the last name right. Very difficult one to say. Everybody mispronounces it. And I think I got it right. If you're listening to the show, you know, give me a high five. <laughs> but uh, Solomon's a, a really cool dude. Uh, really great interview. I've already done it. Uh, and we get really deep. So if you're into, if you're listening to the show and you're a young director, or if you're a director, period, and you're looking uh, for answers on how someone pulls things off. And Here's the thing. If you're a creative director, because I know a lot of people in the ad world listen to the show too, this is an important episode because we talk in detail about a director's process and how when uh, creative directors are hiring people and they're looking at the reels for, for directors and they essentially want to take that idea and apply it to their clients' boards, 
oftentimes you have to understand uh, that there's a process that goes along with that. And we talk about the power when you're writing a treatment as a director, the power of really being able to articulate your process. And that's important. We talk about the frustrations that often happen when dealing with clients that don't understand how you do what it is that you do. And at that point, is it your fault for not explaining it? And do you just blame the clients and say, look, they just don't get me, then you're fucked because your work is going to stop at that point. How do you convey the process that it is that you use to create your work, especially if it's something that is incredibly organic and if it's something that doesn't fall within the confines of a typical job, you know, the boards, the storyboards, following those storyboards exactly and creating this stuff. So this is a really good episode for that because we not only talk about how he pulls off uh, his casting, how he pulls off getting the emotions on screen that he does and how he pulls off the tone Tone. I keep coming back to that word when we listen to the show. Tone is important with all this stuff. Uh, we talk about that stuff, but we also talk about a lot of these unspoken jobs that we have as directors. And a lot of that is just trying to figure out how to communicate and how to sell our process to our clients, how to sell our process to our collaborators. So this is a straight up, down in the dirt, getting into it episode about directing. It's a good one. And I'll tell you this, man. Uh, I was super happy to have the conversation. I actually walked away with a couple of really great lessons from this. Um, So very fucking excited. And I'm going to say this, man. We've done, what, three? This is the third in killer fucking episodes for you guys. Right? And we're doing this shit for free, man. (laughs) And if you like what you're hearing, please go support us. Go to the website, go to inlovewiththeprocess.com. There you can choose episodes based upon a subject material. So I've curated it um, based upon directors and cinematographers and musicians. So if you want to just really focus your listening, because this is episode 80. Eight fucking zero. This is episode 80, man. Uh, so if you're looking at that that cue on like Apple Podcasts, and you're like, where do I go? I'm coming in on episode 80. How do I start? Go to episode one, I'll set the show up for you, and then go to inlovewiththeprocess.com and choose where you want to play. Because there is something fun in the continuity. There's a lot of references that are happening based upon continuity, so if you're into that, do that. But it's not necessary. You don't need to. Um, But like I was saying, support the show. On inlovewiththeprocess.com, there's a sponsors page. On that sponsors page, you could sign up for an Audible free trial. So if you sign up for a 30-day free trial at Audible, if you haven't done so already somewhere else, uh, you sign up for that, you get 30 days for free, you get a free audiobook, and you get access to all their content, uh, and we get a little bit of money. That is the best way to donate to the show without reaching into your own pocket. Uh, listen to that shit for 30 days. You're probably going to want it longer than that, but if you didn't get your stimulus fucking check, and you're like, God, I can't afford this right now, cancel it before 30 days are up. It won't cost you a dime. We still get paid. Okay? Best way to help us out for the show. Um, so, that's it. Let's get into it. So without further ado, do yourself a favor, grab your noise-canceling headphones, grab yourself a fucking pen and paper, because you're going to want to take some fucking notes on this one. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the brand new episode of In Love With The Process.
Hey, Solomon, thanks for uh, joining me on the show. So happy to be with you. Thanks for having me, Mike. Uh, we were just talking offline that you're out in New York City and uh, you guys are dealing with some crappy weather, which I guess we were saying is good for the lockdown, huh? Yeah, yeah. It's I don't know. I, I honestly don't know which one is better. I think like having it sunny, just it definitely get your spirits up and then you're about to step outdoors and you remember, oh, crap, I can't really. Like this is, this is really not... Um, good for me or for anyone else and then you stay indoors and you're just like looking at the sunshine which is it feels like a bit like a like a like a punishment it's not but <laughs> it can't feel that way <laughs> yeah man because we're at this point well while i'm recording this podcast we're doing this a bit ahead of time but we're about a month and change in at this point to the lockdown right. so uh people are going a little stir crazy um I get it but, you know, what are you going to do? You stay creative. Are you staying creative and, um, and making stuff during this time? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, as creative as I can be, I guess. Um, I think it's like force. I was chatting to a friend of mine, a DP called Khalid earlier today, Khalid Matasib, And we were just talking about how, um, I, in a weird way, this is like forcing you to focus on those things that maybe you neglect, um, yeah. when, uh, when, when you're on the hamster wheel. Um, and, uh, just things like organizing my hard drives, uh, some things like, um, organizing projects or finishing edits on projects, you know, I've, I've had like two personal projects just haunt me for the last while. Um, and, uh, I, I always talk about personal projects as being like, um, bad mirrors of yourself because they sit there and they you, you never quite prioritize them because obviously you have to like care take care of um, client projects but after you've shot them um you usually I, I quickly get to a first draft of a cut and then i'm so disheartened by the first draft that i just forget it you know i just like put it aside i'm like i don't want to look at this thing because it's reminding me how crappy i am at this whole thing uh, <laughs> And um, and you just try and squeeze in time to like finish it, and it kind of never happens. And then this has kind of been a blessing in a way, um, and I want to use that word very lightly. But in terms of just like getting getting the work, um, getting the time to do the work, I guess. Um, Yeah. And uh, just finishing up edits and um, trying to write, to be honest, which is again another thing that I've like been trying to prioritize, um, but it's been hard to find the time. And now all of a sudden I have the time, so I've got no excuses. Well, I agree with you completely. And it's it's funny how we end up putting off so much stuff. Um, and it's, it's funny that you mentioned like cleaning out hard drives and stuff. Literally the other day, I, I've been storyboarding for larger projects. I've been working in Photoshop. And I never have the time to correctly organize my brushes and everything because I'm using a Cintiq and I'm drawing. Uh, and so I just got so frustrated because my Photoshop, my recent version of Photoshop kept crashing when I was using these brushes and I literally had to just completely douche the system the other day. And it was just like, okay, you have the time to do this. There's no reason to be getting angry about this. Yeah. 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 It's, it's, it's forcing us to slow down, which is, I think if you, if you're not used to it, it can be very unnerving. Um, you know, like boredom really isn't our friend anymore um no. we don't know how to be bored actually um which is which is kind of sad um but it's like yeah it's forcing me to just like be bored again and enjoy it <laughs> <laughs> well at least you're enjoying it there are so many people that just don't even know what that means it's like 
we're so used to uh, stimulation at this point from like yeah. every every corner of the uh, every corner of our lives and every moment of the day. We're just digging up, looking for that uh, uh, chemical fucking surge from like our phone. Like, oh, I need yeah, that likes. Dopamine and, rush. Yeah, man. That dopamine rush. <laughs> it's nuts. We were just talking about it uh, last night. With I was talking about it with my roommates, and uh, it was like we're missing so much of that because we would normally get that just going out and hanging out with people and going to bars and doing stuff. Right. And now we're just getting it from one source, essentially, which is pretty much our phone and our technology. And it's right. it's kind of staling it a little bit, which is right. interesting. Right. You know? well, it's, it's funny. It's like I feel like it is revealing – it's kind of revealing the artifice of um, online connection, you know, like everyone's encouraging us to like, you know, yes, we, what's the phrase they use? It's not social distancing. It's physical distancing, <laughs> um, physical distancing, but don't socially distance. But when the only thing that you really have, the only thing that you're relegated to is, is, is your, are your phones. Um, yeah. You start to realize kind of the lack or their inadequacy um mm -hmm. to to kind of foster the real connection because you do you want to be in people's spaces you want to you want to embrace you know it's such a, such a weird thing to not be able to do especially to people who are grieving it's such a you know yeah. people are grieving and the, the thing that you need the most is the thing that you cannot get just just it's such a weird 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 time we're in but anyway yeah yeah it's crazy um well, let's get into you. Let's get into your career. And I was saying a little bit offline that uh, I've been a fan of your stuff for years now. I think the first thing I saw from you was the uh, Rocket Wars piece that you did, which is fucking beautiful, by the way. Right. Ah, oh, um, thank you. Thank you. It was a fun, it was a fun experience. Uh, but your work, I mean, your work is best described on my end as like just very sort of gritty, sort of montaged, beautifully shot. Your angles are just perfect. Um, and your pieces are completely well edited. Do you do all the editing yourself too? Um, yeah, for a lot of the, um, for a lot of the director's cuts, which is most of the stuff on my reel, um, I do. There's a handful of editors that I, um, work with, um, on music bed, but I, it's, it's quite a fluid process. Um, and when working with editors, like I'll usually I work in premiere and they'll work in premiere and we kind of, um, feed things back and forth. Obviously, mm -hmm. when it's like client cuts, a lot of those stuff are like driven by agencies and clients with, with editors. Sure, um, sure, yeah. Yeah, but when it comes to director's cuts, most of those, I'm, you know, I'm like sitting here at my <laughs> two-screen edit bay here in New York, um, which is <laughs> usually when I'm not out um, uh, shooting, um, I'm in here editing and, and pitching on projects. Um, but a lot of my time is on the back end, just on edits, on the tools myself. Yeah, yeah, you can tell, and you're also a composer too, right? You do music. Yeah, I, yeah, it's weird. It's it's so hard. I'm living with labels. Um, I think um, I I used to compose. I wouldn't call myself a composer. I've got no, um, I've got no classical training or or, or even knowledge of of music. Um, mm -hmm. but I I would say I dabbled. Um, and and did it for a season. Um, more just as a. I guess like as a sonic enthusiast um, and, and did a little bit of sound design as well. Um, and then transitioned very, very quickly um, into filmmaking. Um, and then again, another term, I don't really feel like I, 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 it sits comfortably with me only because I make short little clips, but 
I feel like maybe once I once I actually make a feature film that that I'll, I'll be able to like sit with that title a little bit better. I think you could very easily sit with that title with the quality of work. And I completely understand that insecurity because for I'm still I'm in the process of maybe making my feature after this whole COVID experience. But right. I, I have been doing very similar stuff for about 19 years, like commercials and music videos and, right. and short clips. Um, and yes, we are filmmakers. <laughs> <laughs> I know that's what I need to write down when in, whenever I enter a new country. I need to uh -huh. like own something like, what do you do for a living? What are you here for on, you know, on business for? And it's usually director, but I remember just like writing that down the first couple of times. I'm like, ah, oh, this feels, this feels like a bit of a stretch. <laughs> uh, Cause I was just like rocking up there and was, you know, at the time I was like just doing like a bunch of like lo-fi doc documentary things. Um, and, and even then when I started doing commercials, I was like, okay, well, look, uh, this is kind of what I'm doing, but as a, thing you call yourself it still feels like there's a little bit of a disconnect you know um <laughs> hopefully hopefully that's a sign of like not wanting to be too complacent um you know it's 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 um yeah it takes a while for you to kind of own i think because the creative fields are so nebulous um yeah. creativity is such a nebulous ethereal ephemeric thing um ephemeral thing that um, it's, it's hard to feel like you're actually grasping it because most of the time you're just trying. Most of the time you're just kind of, um, you're just, I, I say, sitting under the tree waiting for something to drop. It feels like whenever something comes, it's not coming from me, it's coming from somewhere else. And so I'm very much just at the behest of some inspiration, um, mm. you know, and so mm -hmm. to, to, kind of, <laughs> to kind of live with, um, with the title when you're just kind of waiting, obviously like you have to do the work. Yes. So as an editor, sure. I feel almost more feel comfortable as by calling myself more of an editor. <laughs> um, but the director is just, you're sitting there waiting for ideas to drop. And that's, uh, you know, that's sometimes very nerve wracking. Yeah, it is. But that's kind of the job. I mean, our job is to be sort of a lightning rod and sort of look around and absorb life and sort of absorb uh, inspirations that people send to us and things that we see or experiences that we have and then try to figure out a way to translate, at least myself, I try to figure out a way to translate what I emotionally felt right. in that moment by using this language that I spend time practicing and, and teaching right. myself. Right. You know? And I think, I think, dude, I think all directors are, th are that way. I think you hit a point where if you're not, then you're bored. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you know but I mean? it's it's so much anxiety. Oh, I mean, it's it's weird for music videos, especially. I find like, especially when it's like commissioned work, because uh, mm -hmm. you know there's no agency drawing up the the first little bit of a brief for you. You, it's they send you a track. Here's a little bit of money. Now come up with something amazing. And by the way, you're pitching against ten other people. Um, yeah. You're yeah, just yeah. like, ah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I don't, I don't even have a little nugget, and you want an idea. You want me to just like quickly put you a top line. Give me some time, you know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, I mean, that business is so brutal. You, how long have you been doing music videos? Uh, I started was it 2017, maybe 2017. Um, I was doing commercial for about a, commercials for about a year and a half and I was finding myself getting into, um, a bit of car work and it's just so not what I wanted to do. Um, or it was, I really kind of just wanted to get things that felt a little bit more human. 
um, mm. you know, focus on work that felt a little bit more human. And um, so I, so I remember I was on a, I was on a commercial job and I, uh, it was kind of a frustrating process. And I came home the one night I was in London, um, went back to my hotel and just like started writing um, mm. and wrote this idea for a music video. And I didn't know what the track was going to be. And I found a track, I uh, made the music video. I actually tried to pitch it to the artist, but they never got back to me. And then I made the music video um, and sent it to them. And then they replied and they loved it. And then I've constantly, <laughs> I've, I've, I've since then, um, pitched on uh, a music video again for them, won that brief and then did an official music video for them. And I'm actually continuing a, a working relationship with them. So that was kind of a nice experience and really opened the door for a lot more music video work lately. Um, so, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. Cause so I've been, do- I was doing music videos heavily probably back in like 2009, 2008, 2009. And then it was, um, it was uh, kind of like the last sp- like sputter of the labels for real you know what i mean right. we were doing like a right. lot of like heavy metal stuff and we were doing a lot of rock and roll stuff and some hip-hop um and it got really uh complicated for us as music video directors because a there's so many of there were so many music video directors right. and so if, if you send right. in a treatment to like a larger band i remember i think we did treatments for corn we did treatments for a couple other uh big acts and it's like i know that this hard work that i spent three and a half days doing is going to end up on a stack of like 50 treatments. Right. And it's it's going to go to the band while they're like getting off stage and sitting on a tour bus going, I don't want to read this stuff. <laughs> you know. I right. Mean? Right. So it, it, it hit a point where it got so incredibly complicated to do be, and the budgets were plummeting super hard. Right. Um, which started to restrict the amount of stuff. And with music videos and your stuff is so epic in scale uh, and you do such a great job with extras and with uh, your pieces feel completely immersed in uh, an actual world. That stuff is either you know those people and you're lucky and you get access to that stuff or it tends to be expensive. Do you feel that same way or have you figured out how to, to make your way around that? Um, yeah, I mean, it is it is hard. I think um, if you if you look at my work, um, a lot of the music videos that I did, I kind of did like in in the process that I just described to you. I found a track that I liked or had an idea, found a track, then approached the artist. Um, mm-hmm. It means throwing a lot of your own money into it, um, mm-hmm. which is what I've done. Um, but there's, I mean, everything everything that you release, if it's good, feeds back into getting more of the stuff you want to do. And the only reason I put money into this, uh, into that stuff is because um, – I'm trying to carve out more of the things that I want to do. So it's an investment, but in order to draw um, stuff that's similar. And for me, it was a way to pivot out of doing car commercials um, Mm. or more colder type of commercials um, and to pivot into doing things that felt more human, more edgy, kind of more the stuff that I um, really want to be doing. Um, And so – there was a lot of kind of my, my my own personal finances, but what I would do is um, I would just take longer to prep um, and rely on personal relationships to try and um, get talent or um, get certain crew. Um, you know, some things I definitely have to pay for, but other things I was I was just I was utilizing the fact that I have kind of an open. There was no deadline. Um, mm-hmm. I just have kind of an open slate of time. 
um, and using that to kind of build the thing out as opposed to, oh, you've got two weeks, throw this little amount of money at it, what can you get? Um, So it was, the process in a way was a lot more immersive, um, but and also kind of stretched over a longer time. It just meant in that way I could, you know, shoot with a street gang in, in Paris and build relationships with um, really kind of that community. It was like, a you know, for, for that film, Mr. Martyr, which is that one that I conceived on the back end of that commercial job in London. Um, that music video was called Mr. Martyr and was with these like Paris gangs. And, and mm-hmm. it was built kind of from the ground up um, with, I just put a post out to, on Facebook saying, is there a producer um, or anyone that can help me with casting and locations in, in, uh, in Paris? And this guy mm. reached out to me and he wasn't, he wasn't a quote unquote producer. He had worked with cast before, but he became the producer for that project. And, um, and, and in that way we were kind of able to pull this thing off that felt quite alive, but it was just like, I, I think I went on a trip before, like I went on a trip to Paris the two weeks of like hard scouting and prep and meeting with the talent and went back to New York, um, uh, organized everything a little bit more. I think I might've done a job back in New York and then I went back uh, to Hmm. Paris to go shoot it. Um, So yeah, it became a little bit more like, again, it became more like a passion project than like a commission thing that just like, you have to move at it, you know, like, like that with the clip of a finger. Um, you can tell the difference because it's it. I'm you know I'm I'm actually looking at the video now as we're talking. It's gorgeous, and it like I said, you have this ability uh, to make it seem like you're completely immersed in these worlds. It's almost faux documentary. It's very interesting right. the way that you that you do that stuff, and I guess that makes a lot more sense because coming from that other world, like you said before, where there you get that you get the call going. Here's this band. Here's this track. You have uh, the the song releases in two weeks. Get the right. shit done. You know right. What I mean? And you're just right. like, fuck. Okay. Right. How do I pull this off. You know right. I mean? Yeah. Um, yeah. Not not the not the best. I not the best environment for for creativity. Uh, although although sometimes you know having very clear um, you know having a very a very clear um, this is the amount of time you you got um, and here's some money that focus brings about another type of process which I also enjoy. Um, it's just, I think, um, the track has to be spectacular. Um, yeah. <laughs> you know, the track has to be spectacular and the, the, the agency or not the agency, but the label and management and artists need to be very open, um, yep. and not want to micromanage everything. I think you can yep. still get something amazing, but whenever there's micromanagement involved, then it becomes really, really difficult. Yeah, 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 yeah. And you must be used to that because uh, I as as well have been a commercial director and it's a whole different way of directing because you're essentially working for a creative team and you're you're a cog in the process and they kind of want, at least in my experience, they kind of want your style or your vision but put through what they need and what they have. And so that collaboration process is much different. Um, And... How do you do you enjoy that collaboration process doing commercials and and honestly as an artist how do you adjust for that process? Yeah, that's a good question. I think um I realized um I realized that you know very early on that um clients are the ones that are paying for your services, you know. Um yeah. and 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 really they are they are the ones that are ultimately in control big picture wise. I think 
the the lesson that I learned is that in the detail, um, they probably don't know a lot about what you're trying to accomplish. You know, mm. they're not directors. They don't have um, a lot of times they don't have um, the creative understanding um, or nuanced sensibilities um, that you as a director might have just because you've immersed yourself in this vocation for so long. Um, and sometimes when you're kind of rubbing up against them on the detail, that's where it's really on us um, to try and kind of get our vision across. That's where it's on us to be very articulate um, and mm. try and find a way to inner as much as we can be agreeable um, in a language that they can understand, that they can hear you and that hopefully you can convince them um, that, that your idea um, is going to make their, in, their product better uh, or their film or the thing that sells their product better. Um, I think initially um, I got very offended um, when clients or agencies uh, didn't understand my vision um, or didn't like my vision. Um, and I didn't know the art of communicating uh, or the art of, in an agreeable way, um, negotiating um, mm. or <laughs> in an agreeable way, coercing. Um, or manipulating because um, part of that is directing part of directing is making an agency and a client believe that um, your good idea was their good idea um, mm -hmm. you know and that's a challenge there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of people that um, don't have that talent. I, I struggle with that because um, I, I don't like being disingenuous um, yeah. I like being very honest and I feel like um, sometimes that gets me into trouble because um, my disappointment at the fact that they killed us shooting on film or um, that they didn't go for my talent shows on my face and I cannot get it off my face. Um, <laughs> but that's where, that's where I feel like some really solid um, directors would, um, would uh, keep a very straight face, an unoffendable face. Um, and go back to the client and have an honest conversation of them with a smile on their face and go, hey, I just, let's discuss this again. I remember you saying that you wanted this type of talent. And then they go, you know, and you're kind of making a case to convince them of why the person you like is exactly the person they actually really want. You know, I, right. I'm still learning how to how to work <laughs> that, you know. Me too, my man. Me too. It's been years. <laughs> And you still, I, it's funny because every time you get a job like that, it like the, all the the chess pieces on the board are new, are different. They all have new personalities, and right. so you're you're literally, at least for me, when I whenever I do a um, like a uh, initial call with a client, whether it's like a pitch call or just a meeting call, I'm doing I'm casting them as much as they're casting me, and just right. listening to how these personalities intermingle and understanding right. like who's the leader and who's not the leader because you right. never I mean, you never know and there's this whole sort of hierarchy especially in advertising right uh, of like who's the head creative and who's not and who wrote this thing and who was pitching right. it to the client it's right. fascinating it's a fascinating dynamic yeah it's a fascinating uh, beast <laughs> <laughs> Okay, now's the time to take a break from all this really good fucking shit that we're talking about on the show. And I'm, I apologize that we have to do this, but we have to do this because 
The people that support us are important. It's the only reason why the show stays on air. Um, and I'm not just talking about the listeners. I'm not just talking about uh, how much work you guys are doing to promote the show. I'm not talking about all of the friends and people that you're bringing to the show because you're proud to be a listener of the show. Uh, and there are some of you out there that are like, what is he talking about? I haven't done anything. I know. I know those of you who haven't done anything. I see it. If you want to be on my good list, <laughs> then uh, you will promote the show to your friends. Tell everybody what you're listening to because everybody's asking each other right now, what should I listen to? I'm at a podcast. I've listened to my whole podcast. Uh, our numbers are going up and there's a reason for it. In a, in a time period where most podcast numbers are plummeting, ours are rising because people are looking for an honest place. Uh, people are looking for a fun place and we're trying to create that for you. Um, but... Let's get to the reads. First up, our good friends over at Puget Systems. If you're an independent filmmaker, if you're an independent photographer, if you're someone that just needs a new computer and your old system just isn't cutting it anymore and you don't want to pay ridiculous prices for an unboxing experience, here's the good news. Everything can be done on a PC. Remember when that was like, oh my God, PCs? What the fuck? No way. PCs crash all the time. They don't. Everything can be done on a PC. And so now the next question is, is where do I find one? How do I get a good PC? Is there a place that I could just buy one and have it shipped to me and I open it up and use it? Yes, there is. I did all the hard work for you. Don't worry. I found this company called Puget Systems. At PugetSystems.com, you can go there and choose a baseline system based upon the software you use. So you can actually click on Premiere and they'll, they'll suggest a hardware profile that works for Premiere. And believe it or not, not all hardware works for everything. You can build a system that kind of works well for everything, but if you're looking to build a specific system, these guys have gone through the benchmarks tests. These guys have tested all the hardware and all the gear. They test all the new shit that comes out. They actually run it hard through these different software platforms and produce numbers, which is really great. Um, and they're a great resource, whether or not you're buying a PC or you're building a PC. And here's the new news. We talked about it on the last episode and we're gonna talk about it again. I have heard from multiple listeners because we have listeners in London, we have listeners in Australia, people that are like, I want a Puget system. You talk about it all the time, Michael. We've seen all the films that you've edited on these computers and we can't get it because these motherfuckers don't ship internationally, right? But here's the good news. I hear all the ears peaking, all the ears peaking internationally right now. You guys, are, you guys are like, what is it, Mike? What is it? They are doing this new thing called Hardware Consultant. I'm just going to read their copy for this so I don't fuck it up. Puget Systems customers have always enjoyed a level of personal touch when designing and purchasing one of our workstations. It is a standard of excellence that has set us apart and that we're very proud of. No big deal, guys. Uh, we are very pleased to announce that we are extending that same level of service that we would normally have reserved for those purchasing workstations for Puget Systems to everybody worldwide. Mm -hmm. I know that's giving you chills. Here's the deal. They're doing starting at $500 per consultation. This service will give you all the information you need to make informed decisions about what hardware you need for your workflow. Uh, there will be a link below, and I'm going to send this to Liam so that he has this right now. Uh, there is a link below to sign up for this consultation. Now, I know that you are thinking $500. What does that $500 go to? Well, here's the thing. You could probably build yourself a sweet system for just a few grand. And then 
the question is, what do you buy for hardware? What what uh, graphics card works with this specific motherboard? You know, does do these SSD drives really improve performance? I don't know. It's all in theory, and I'm going to read various articles from different places, and then half the time, the people that are writing articles based upon this hardware are the people that make that fucking hardware. So when you read these articles, they're like, it's perfect, it runs really great. This is the thing about Puget Systems. They don't make any of this hardware. They construct machines. So they have no allegiances. So they'll give you the true facts on what it is that you should use to build your system. And they'll coach you through it. That's what's so fucking rad about this. So go to PugetSystems.com and check it out. Next up, as always, our good friends over at Quasar Science. If you guys haven't done so already, go follow Quasar Science on Instagram. Uh, they have been giving away uh, lighting kits uh, every week. I don't know if they're still doing it now, but go check them out over there and see if they are. Um, a lot of the listeners have asked me, Mike, we love your lighting. What do you have in your kits? I have Quasar tubes, right? I have got a bunch of Quasar tubes. I've got some rainbow LEDs. I've got some of their smaller tubes. They're bicolor tubes. Um, they're fantastic lights. If you watch the Dale Strong piece that I just did, all the shots of the knives themselves with the lights moving over them, that was me with a Quasar tube. They're really versatile pieces. They're really great for accents. The tubes are actually really good for interviews. They're lightweight. You can fit them in your car. Uh, really great stuff. So if you're a shooter, a videographer, wow, my mouth is stopping to work. And uh, you're looking for new gear and you're like questioning, what should I get? I mean, this lighting technology and this LED technology is through the fucking roof right now. It's amazing shit. And you can make your stuff look really great. So go to quasarscience.com. Um, and as always, in love with the process.com backslash sponsors there, you can sign up for our audible free trial, which I talked about at the top of this episode, but you can also sign up for our different credit card deals that we have. If you're someone that is responsible with your money and you're someone that is looking for a credit card, uh, consider looking at the deals that we have. If you guys sign up through that, we get a nice chunk of change. It doesn't cost you anything. Check them out in love with the process.com backslash sponsors because I know you want to support us. I just knocked things over on my desk by slamming on it. I know you want to support us. I love you guys. Let's get back to the show. Well, you mentioned, and I'm curious about this, you just mentioned about casting or, or working with the cast. Um, how's your experience been casting commercials, especially with clients? Is it, <laughs> is yeah, it tricky? tricky. Or, yeah, it's, yeah, it's very tricky. It's very, very tricky. Um, I think um, the one thing I've really loved about um, music videos um, is that I, I can, I've had the ability or I've had the opportunity to, for the most part, um, cast people that I just you just know um, mm. are gonna be right. They have interesting faces. They don't feel um, uh, actory um, mm-hmm. in the sense that um, there's kind of a veneer of now I'm on. Um, they just inherently are who they are. Um, and I've and I've had the I've had the I, I feel like the generally good fortune um, of finding uh, really interesting, compelling faces. I think um, in in commercials, um, I feel like I have good instincts, but I feel like more often than not, clients and agencies want to look under the same old rocks, 
um, yeah, yeah, for, yeah, yeah. for a metaphor. Um, they want to go to like the casting agents, um, you know, um, that, 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 um, that are kind of trusted and they give them kind of the actors. But I want to, I, I typically like street casting. I typically like working with, especially if, if it's a film that is populated by a lot of cast, um, and that's, uh, I want to use this word, um, hopefully in the right context here, but, um, of some sort of cultural or subcultural, um, place. Totally. Um, totally. you totally. know, then, 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 then I find that, um, working with real people is just better. It's just more convincing. Um, and what I, where I do like working with actors is if you have to have someone carry a big, um, dramatic role, you know, if there's like a, one person leading, um, mm-hmm. a very intense dialogue, um, or performance heavy, um, uh, film, then finding an actor that's cut from the same cloth as street casted actors or have that same kind of raw energy. Um, I find that's when, when, when working with, um, with, with actors are, are really useful. It's very, um, I find in the commercial space, it's very hard for everyone from, from agents, uh, from agencies to clients to myself to be aligned on casting. Uh, cause yeah. clients want to typically go for safe bets. Um, agencies like interesting, um, uh, faces, but interesting is often very subjective. Um, I like really raw and very human and kind of un, um, unadorned, unvarnished, un, um, yeah, just raw faces. Um, and faces that tell a story almost like instantly, um, you know, um, but that, but that also then can, can hold a performance. So they should have that aliveness that, that feels like you've stumbled upon them as opposed to you've casted them, you know? Yeah. It's such a, it's such a wild thing. It's a hard thing to describe from a, from a filmmaker standpoint, when I see someone come into a room, I mean, casting sessions, I hate casting sessions. Casting sessions to me are like couch. So I always say this, it's like buying a couch, right? Just going through the process of being, being like, okay, so that one's got smaller cushions and this one's blue and that's not blue. And and after you sit on like 12 couches, you're like, I don't know anymore. I can't tell. Right. Right. Uh, But with, um, with actors and talent, I know instantly. So if someone walks in the room, if I'm fascinated by them, that's good because a, uh, if I'm fascinated by them, I'm going to study and examine the reasons why I'm fascinated by them and accentuate right. those reasons for the project. Right. And then B, and then B, at at the worst case scenario, uh, let's take a lesson from the Ryan Gosling school of acting. At the right. worst case scenario, you shut them up and you put them in front of the lens, and people are completely fascinated by them. Right. And I think. For, I mean, it's a visual medium, and I consistently say this, and I, I feel like lately a lot of people get bogged down. Scripts are important, and stories are really important, but I think people lose sight of the fact that filmmaking is essentially a visual storytelling medium. Right. Uh, and I think you need to find someone fascinating to look at before they even open their mouth. Right. I think that's right. incredibly important. And, and trying to explain to a client, like you were saying – Trying to explain to a client or trying to explain to an agency, like, this is why I like this person. A, I'm fascinated by them. B, it fits everything that you asked for. But C, I like what they have in their toolbox. I like what they have as far as their instincts are concerned. And I know that our days are going to be crazy. I know we're going to run out of fucking time. And I don't want to have to go through the process of trying to pull out what comes naturally 
to right. this person. Right. You know? Right. Right. Well, you 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 know that when um, when they're picking someone that you just don't feel comfortable with, it's going to land on you anyway because you cannot get yes. out of them what you need to get out of them, and then it's on yes. you. And it's like, yep. no, no, no. Give me the right, as you say, give me the right tool. Give me the tool that I know I can work with and I can get something out of this. Um, because otherwise we're going to stand on set and you're going to look at me like a dumb idiot. And I'm going to be like, yeah, you guys picked this guy. This is, you know, right. this is, this is, I, I had my reservations here. Um, I, one thing that I will say um, is it's really hard for me. I find casting um, uh, vignette type films extremely mm -hmm. difficult because um, often people just have to kind of play a moment. And that moment is some sort of action that isn't connected to anything in the casting room. You know, it's like yes. you, you have to get someone driving a car and then they're sitting there and they're like acting driving a car. Um, and that's really, it's really hard for me. And um, so I often try and just like write something that's way more concrete um, that gives me way more of a feel, like it might have nothing to do with the scene that I, that I need them to play um, as a kind of a starting point um, mm. so I can actually see what the person's essence is. Um, and then I'll get them to do like that little thing that they need to do for that, that slice of the vignette that's going to be in the film, just so that we can show the client exactly what they need to see. But for me as a director, I get a kind of a, a better sense of what this person is. And sometimes I'll like, um, just, uh, print a bit of copy, um, of a script. Um, mm -hmm. and have them uh, learn that just so I can see like what their natural instincts is, is uh, what their natural instincts are um, with a, a piece of dialogue and uh, how they kind of bring that out. Um, and what I have found is that helps me a little bit more. I feel like when I do have a script that has dialogue in, um, I can instantly tell um, whether someone is good or not. I, I worked on this uh, thing for Audi a while back. It's called Test Drive. And it was mm -hmm. all kind of um, driven by uh, kind of an old weathered soul doing a monologue at a racetrack, um, equating cars to like beasts. Um, and I remember I had done like a bunch of like vignette films in, in terms of commercial work before and I was always so frustrated by the, by the casting phase. Um, and then agency and myself we were sitting in the same room and um this guy was the first guy that we saw and we're like oh my gosh that was amazing like just first reading boom amazing <laughs> and we then spent four hours seeing everyone else or eight hours or whatever it was a whole day of casting um saw everyone else and we were just like nah it was the first guy and the agency <laughs> were, were convinced i was convinced that was the first time that had ever happened to me and then uh, we went to the client and the client wasn't fully convinced because the guy had like kind of deep set eyes and he looked a little bit like wild, which we thought was absolutely perfect. Um, mm -hmm. But to me, it was such an eye-opening experience um, seeing um, what a bit of copy or script um, when you have a piece of paper and you have really something that you can test people with as opposed to just a random action um, that is so disconnected from the setting that you're in. Um, that's helped me tremendously. And again, it's like you say, like faces are important. Like you get, you person walks into the room, uh, you get a sense of that, you know, whether they can, um, command your attention on screen. Um, mm -hmm. but then I find having the material, like actually having 
good material to work with and to test people with uh, is um, is absolutely crucial. And I'll try and inject that into even um, uh, vignette stuff because it, it does help me get a sense of people. Dude, it's genius. That's perfect. Actually, that's a great idea. I often find myself, especially when I would get uh, hired on a job and it was like a day later, you're in the casting session and you're sort of catching up and you're prepping up with the thing and you're in there and they're they're like, so what do you want the actress to do? And oftentimes you're like, oh God, I don't even know. You right. Know, you have that right. question where you're like, God, super smart to do that, man. And, right. And that that piece that you're talking about, is that that uh, test drive piece that you were yeah. bringing up? Yeah. Okay. Fascinating piece, by the way. And I have a few questions and this sort of transitions into um, uh, inspiration for these things. So yeah. was all this in the boards, like the, um, the uh, horseshoes falling from the sky and all that stuff? Um. I'm trying to think. It was a very fluid process uh, in terms of like um, my additions to the script, and then even after that, um, what these metaphors were going to be. We always knew that there were going to be metaphors, and so I had written a couple of things in. But I think um, even in my treatment, um, they kept evolving just with client sensitivities on certain things. And um, uh -huh. so it was one thing when I got it from them. It was another thing when I worked on it, and then it became another thing when we worked on it together in prep. Um, so I think some of them were probably the same. Um, but I think a lot of them, if not, if not all of them might've like changed in the process. Cause we had, uh, I think we had probably three more. Um, one was actually cut, um, that we shot and we cut it, but then we had two more on the initial script and those got cut, um, before we started shooting just cause they were too expensive. Um, yeah, or they yeah. were just too many. Um, yes, yeah, so it was a very fluid process. Um, it's a great spot, man. And I'm curious cause this comes down to, uh, you know, staying, having the ability to sort of mine good ideas and creative ideas, especially on a time frame, right? with these things. And so what is your process for, uh, for your inspiration? Are you someone that sort of collects, uh, inspirational images and you, and you library that stuff or is it? <clears throat> Or do you tackle each project freshly and sort of stare at a blank canvas and then try to figure it out? Yeah, um, it's a mix. It's a mix of things. Uh, I used to, I used to, um, I used to look at images a lot more, um, but I feel like it's changed a lot for me um, just because I've, I've been focusing over the last while a lot more on just like, and it, you know, it's not even in my work just yet, um, but I feel like it's me projecting kind of future um i've been spending a lot more time reading and it's weird mm -hmm. how like reading actually um uh starts to activate a different part of your brain a little bit um it it's um it, i think perhaps also with like music videos um they rely so much on um complete um conceptual uh package of an idea um, as opposed mm -hmm. to commercials that just require reinterpretation of like certain scenes or like small little ideas. Um, and so when I was working on um, commercials, it was a lot more just like, oh, that image is cool, that image is cool. And it's like you kind of stringing those things together. I think mm -hmm. um, these days, especially with music videos, and I've um, been developing a feature, um, it is a lot more reading um, that is uh, helping the ideation process. Um, mm. so articles, I, I, am not a big book reader. I'll admit that. Um, but I like, I'm reading the Atlantic a lot. Um, Nat Geo a lot. 
um, yeah, it's, 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 it's a lot of reading these days. I used to like use Evernote a lot and I'll just like dump. I still use it, um, but more in the written form. I used to use it a lot for this, just like dumping images into it. Um, and I also be, I also used to be very inspired by kind of music as a base, just to like give you an example. When I worked on the short film, uh, it was called Anomaly. Um, I feel like, um, I had, there was one image that I saw that, in, that almost like was the impetus for that film. Um, and then I started, um, kind of compiling sonic ideas or musical ideas, um, very early on in the, con- like the conceptual phase. And, I'm working now on a feature and the only thing that we've been focusing on uh, me with my writing partner has been the written. I've really not looked at until the, the script um, was finished. Um, that was the only time where I started thinking about, okay, like, where's this thing going to like kind of land musically or what's like the sonic imprint of this thing. Um, huh. And I feel like that's kind of new for me. Um, but I also think it's, um, that's how I need to evolve. I think I'm really trying to just like focus way more on, um, on narrative. Yeah. 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 Totally. That jump is always really difficult. Um, and I was in the same boat, man. Like for me, uh, in my early years, it was like, I want to be a director and I want to tell films. But when I was younger, I didn't feel like I had in my early twenties, I didn't feel like I had the life experiences yet right, uh, right. To, to, do, to do that. And so I was just buying time, by doing all these smaller pieces and shorter pieces and I would examine techniques or I lost myself in edit and learned how to cut, lost right. myself in shooting and learned how to be a DP and did that stuff for a while. Just learning the language basically right. and right. examining that language. And then um, that transition for me, it took, and I've said this on the show multiple times, it took like a, a life changing incident where I basically cracked my skull and I ended up in intensive care and I went to oh, this wow. whole process. Um, and through that process, I was inspired to write what was the first draft of my uh, now feature that's in development, 12 kilometers. And then I made a short based upon that. And th- that jump because of life experiences, because of that stuff, I had that story to tell and I went through certain emotions that really affected me in such a powerful way. Right. And while I was going through that, I was trying to examine it as a filmmaker and saying, right. like, what is it that scares me about this? Is it the right. fact that I can't, I can't, uh, because of the concussions, I can't close out all sound. And so I'm, I'm processing all this sound at the same time. Right. And so then I became fascinated with all these different little tricks and techniques. And then I ended up partnering up with a writer who is a, was a, a young director in his own right, but then he's really focused on the, on the language right. and on how to take what are these visual ideas and these emotional keystones and translate that into something that could be read, right. um, which is its own fucking skill set that I, right. I do not have. Um, right. So it's, it's fascinating. And that change from the commercial world, the music video world into that world has been exciting um, to the point where I'm, I'm now prepping another feature where, where I, we've got the script done and now I'm going back and doing storyboards and visual work, but it's completely different than what it used to be for me right. uh, in the mu- music video world where I'm not just pulling reference images and creating mood boards anymore. I'm actually right. deciding, okay, now with my understanding of this language, mm. how, how high should the camera be and where right. should the actors be blocked and what right. am I doing? Right. It's fucking, right. it's, it's really awesome, man. It's like right. a really great progression with it. 
right you know what I mean? right right well it's like I, I feel like it's like what is what is the script telling me you know yeah. like i feel like you're getting to that point where it's like how is what i do visually motivated by what's coming from the words not like oh you know what is that reference for something similar or what is this reference for a scene that's kind of similar it's it's you know yeah. you're trying to kind of let the words um create the shape or the language of of the film not even the words but the essence you know um yeah. and it is yeah. fun to like get to that to that space like i i crave um I, I love world building, um, but I, I really kind of crave this, uh, just having the sensational creating the sense of a three-dimensional world in, in a film. You know, like, yes, mm. I can do that to some extent. It's really hard to do in commercials. It's almost impossible to do in commercials. It's, it's hard to do in music videos, but sometimes um, there's a little bit more space. There's just a little bit more real estate um, mm -hmm. to work with. Um, but obviously, you know, the filmic medium or cinema is just, it's the ultimate medium for, you know, immersion in that way. And it's like, I just, I just can't wait, you know, um, to have these, <laughs> these characters that I've now lived with, uh, for about a year and a half or two years, um, to, to actually like, I, I feel like I know them and I just want to be able to like see them, you know? <laughs> yeah, for sure. I did. Honestly, I can't wait to see you create a film because you're, in that limited uh, playground that you've had, you've created such an immersive experience and a very emotional experience. So it'd be completely fucking fascinating to see what you do with the longer format. I think so. Oh yeah, fingers crossed. <laughs> we'll see. The post, <laughs> po po you know, post COVID nineteen, the landscape is going to yeah, be pretty, yeah. pretty dire. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm in that same boat, my friend. <laughs> in that same fucking boat. Um, all right, so. Let's uh let's go back and talk a little bit about so do you you don't shoot all your stuff but you do shoot no. a lot of your stuff right um I, I really don't want to take uh take credit for anything that I shoot I think um I am I run like when I run a set I usually bring my four sixteen with me um mm -hmm. and um often we'll shoot you know thirty five. Um, and I'll run out and I'll shoot little bits. I'll shoot like little, uh, textures or pickups when crew is off, um, at lunch, I might like hang back or when crew is moving on to like the next set and it's prepped and lit or whatever. And uh, then I'll come, I'll shoot a couple of things out in the set that we're just in. Um, cause I did that, I did that on top boy. I usually always do that on music videos. Um, whenever there's a gap, um, I'll try and shoot a couple of things, but really like, it's just i'm 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 bumming off the dp's lighting um you know i'm not i'm not doing all that technical stuff like i don't i don't technically know um all that all the lighting aspects i know how to like manage the camera i know how to expose but when it comes to like lighting i'm like i'm bumming off dp's lighting so no dp's are definitely kind of running my um uh my sets from you know, from a, from a cinematography standpoint, but I'm just using my camera and bumming off their lighting sometimes just because I, I like just to, to see things and find things when, when people need to take breaks. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, it sounds like the editor in you is also because you, you know that it's like, yeah. let me just grab some inserts. Let me grab some cutaways. It'll save my ass later. Essentially. Exactly. <laughs> so, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. yeah, yeah. Um, so uh, what's your process? Have you worked with the same DPs? Do you have DPs that you go back to all the time or are you consistently looking for new DPs? How do you find your shooters? 
Yeah, I wouldn't say I'm consistently looking for new DPs. I think um, often it's just I'll, I'll use a new DP when my my trusted DP relationships aren't available uh, to yeah. me. Um, and then, then I'll use a new DP, but I, I, I feel like I wouldn't go out of my way, um, to work with someone new if there's someone that I, uh, feel very comfortable and I've worked with before. Um, and I think that's, I think that's in general, um, the way I would like to continue to work because I think, um, the work just gets, um, or it's more the process. The process just gets a bit more streamlined when you work that way. Um, yeah. I've obviously yeah, yeah. been like blessed with new experiences. Um, but the shorthand that gets developed, um, with people you've worked with before for me is invaluable, you know? Um, totally. Dude. I, 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 yeah. And you're building, you're building at that point too, yeah. which is, which is, uh, I try to do the same thing on my end because in, there's no such thing as um, there's no such thing as loyalty in the commercial world and with clients. There's no such thing as loyalty. So right, right. There's there's something nice about trying to keep that continuity on your personal level as far as working with creatives and saying, okay, look, I know that we're coming up together. We have the shorthand, obviously, that's built that helps make the sets easier and makes communication easier. But also, let's let's develop together. Let's let me see where you're growing and let's see. Uh, what we can continue to build. Because I think a lot of people just don't understand that the good stuff comes from experience and time. Right, and right. Having that ability to grow and build right. and flourish. Right, You know, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I, I, it's, it, it, I, I often feel quite like nervous working with the DP for the first time because I'm like, mm. is, are, are we going to have the same? I, and I, have, I feel like I haven't had any like horrific experiences, but it is like, are we going to click? Are we going to um, enjoy each other's company? And for me, you know, I know it's, it's, it's about professional relationships, but I, I value those relationships uh, to the point of being close friends. You know, like I, yeah. I almost want to feel like, you know, when we get, you know, done with the job for the night that we would all go out and, and then when the job finishes, we would still go out and meet each other, um, you know, around town, like, cause a lot of, the DPs that I work with are actually from here from New York. Um, so it's, if I feel like there's like almost like a friendship there or there's that comfort level that a friendship, uh, that's similar to a friendship. Um, I feel like those are the relationships that I really value. Um, and that just comes from being like, like minded, um, and have similar, obviously, obviously similar sensibilities, um, and kind of appreciations or, um, uh, impulses, um, mm -hmm. but it is also just, uh, man, I, I, I really like you, you know, <laughs> um, not only do I like your work, but you are such a like good soul. I think that's, I often just, I, I want people that are like really, uh, good at what they do. Um, we share similar sensibilities, but then ultimately if, if they're not a good soul, like if I don't, and when I say good soul, it's just like, um, we appreciate similar things, you know, um, yes. It, it, yes, it, yes. It, it, beyond art, beyond, um, aesthetics, but the qualities that we like in other people, um, those are, that, that goes a long way for me. Um, it's a theme, man. It's a, cause I've interviewed quite a few people for the show and it's definitely a theme that runs across, 
uh, all really good talent. When whenever I see a good film that I feel I feel inspired by, I usually look at it and I go, "They had a really good time making this," and you right. can tell that they enjoy each other's company. And and you can see when you watch certain movies that just aren't coming together and they just feel kind of feel kind of full of anxiety. You're like, man, that crew must have fucking hated it. Like the actor right. must have been a pain in the ass or something must have been going right. on. It, yeah, it surprises me. That surprises me reading up on like Kubrick, you know, and The Shining mm-hmm. and, um, you know, what Shelley Duvall went through. Or, um, you know, you hear horror stories of like Martin Sheen on Apocalypse Nile and you yeah. like all these like horror stories of being on these sets. Um and you go, wow, they still, they, I mean, they still got something out of it. I just, I don't feel like I, as a director, I ever want to be antagonistic towards <laughs> an actor. Cause I just like that, that tension on set must feel like, oh my God, now people are going to try and, uh, you know, the actor might try and uh, kamikaze his take, you know, uh, which <laughs> I would just sure. never want to, I would just never want to be in that position. It's like, no, nah, let's, let's, let's all want to be making the same thing and, but I get it, man. I, I, you know, sometimes you have to, man- you have to manipulate the situation to get what you need to get. And I like asked my wife this cause she's studying acting. It's like, you know, if something isn't working, um, mm-hmm. is it, you know, and, and you want it to work as an actor, but it's like objectively, you know, from a director's perspective, it's not working. Would you be willing for the director to kind of, um, you know, exploit the situation, um, to, to get, out of you what he needs to get. <laughs> and um, I mean, I feel like we're still exploring the answer of that. Um, <laughs> Especially yeah, coming from her husband. Yeah. 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 But I She's mean, like, I how, these... how often do you exploit me in real life? <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Exactly. But I mean, yeah. I hear these stories, you know, I, I mean, even to a lesser extent, I heard these stories of like Spike Jones. Um, you know, lighting fireworks um, behind the set to get the, uh, the kid in wa- uh, where the wild things are to like really react, you know, uh, he's like truly surprised uh, at the sight of the fireworks. Um, and I think he just wanted a reaction. It wasn't that he was seeing fireworks, um, but you, that's a manipulation. You know, that's not a kid acting. That's you're manipulating the situation to get what you need to get out of your actor. Um, sure. And, and yeah, I, I sometimes, you know, I sometimes wonder what like the, what tricks I would employ sometimes when I uh, when I'm in a situation where it's just like I'm just not getting what I need to get out of an actor. You know, it takes it takes real um, creativity, you know, and also and also kind of uh, a careful straddling of ethical <laughs> lines. <laughs> very very true. There are all sorts of stories through the industry through the years. You know, The Exorcist and like stuff that Spielberg was doing uh, to get the kid to respond and like right. close encounters. And right. um, it, it's a, it's a wild thing, it, but you know, it is an ethical line. You have to figure out where your ethical line lies and right. uh, what it is that you're comfortable with doing. But sometimes you need to do that stuff, especially for uh, child actors or actors that don't have as right. much experience where right. it's like these people are thrust into right. a set. You know, like I, I had an actress that worked with me on a short film and she had never worked on a set at this scale. And there's like 50, 50 plus people running around right. and doing stuff. Right. And she's just like deer in the headlights. And right. you have to you have to figure out how to how to break that 
and right. how to make it make it so that they have an honest reaction and then they feel confident with that honest reaction and then right. they feel comfortable in you, you know? Right. No, totally. I mean, I there's one story that always uh, that's always stuck with me, and it's such a good example um, of uh, of exactly what we're talking about. There's a um, I, 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 when I watched um, Beasts of No Nation, Carrie Fuganaga's film. Oh um, yeah. I was really struck by. I think there's a scene where like the kid has to like bash um, someone's head in, mm-hmm. and I was like really <laughs> struck by. Here's a kid that's like what nine years old or ten years old. And mm-hmm. he's the, you know, it, it, like, I'm just imagining the director saying, Hey, so like bash his head in. And I'm like, wait, wait a second. Like, this is a kid. And I think he was found from a war torn country. I was oh like, man, this is like, this is almost like PTSD for this kid. You know, and I'm like, this is, how can you do this? And that was my experience watching this. And I was like, man, yeah. this just feels ethically like kind of a little bit messed up. And then I think I heard Carrie Fuganaga say that they actually like, he had just had the kid, bash a watermelon um didn't give context for what that scene was going to be and then just had the kid you know kid bash a watermelon and i was like oh that makes total sense totally Smart. genius it's like yeah. you you can then use that editorially and it makes sense you know with the with the with the whole kind of intention of the film in that scene but isolated in a shot for this kid is he's just bashing a watermelon um you know so smart so yeah i think it's like good directors know how to be clever like that without really like um again kind of you know scarring people because i think that's that's the ethical line sometimes that you have to be so considerate of you know i i did this film called medicine um mm-hmm. and uh so i was like old um couple and she was aged they're both aging she was losing her sight um but they they're a real couple in a sense that um that is their story and we were basically interviewing them beforehand, um, did an interview to kind of figure out their story and then kind of rewrote their story um, with some embellishments. And I remember sitting with her um, and her husband and kind of going through some of the stories and her reliving it, I felt I felt like I just had to straddle very carefully what we were asking her to do because it was painful. She wanted to do it, but you could tell like some of it was um, – I wouldn't say it was, there were scars there, but it was not easy. Um, and I remember like Khalid and I, cause we kind of, um, EP'd the project. We were just, we just constantly spoke about, Hey, like, should we, should we call this? Um, uh, or should we, should we check in with her and see if she's done with this, you know? Um, and we kept having conversations with her and she's like, no, no, I'm fine. It's just like, sometimes, sometimes it's actually good for me to have, uh, these moments because uh, it helps me to deal with them. Um, and I will tell you if I feel like, you know, um, uh, I, I don't want to do this anymore. And so I think there was a section where she was like, okay, I'm done. Um, and we were just like, okay, great. Thank you, Becky. Um, but yeah, it's, it's yeah. Careful, careful straddling <laughs> of the line there. And uh, you know, that, that piece is so gorgeous. Um, and she gets, so they're not actors. These are real people. And they're real people, inc- yeah. Oh, my God. She gets incredibly emotional yeah. in one of those sections. That must – like, ethically, that's that's that moment, right? Like, right. how do you pull those tears out? How do you put someone through right. – Well, well the, thing, the, the thing that we said to her, like, there's that scene where she um, – there's that scene where she uh, – her husband lays out the dress for her. 
Um, mm-hmm. And then she puts the dress on and she can't see herself in the mirror. And at that point she kind of breaks down. And um, we just, I remember like we had that idea. I don't even think we kind of preconceived it. Um, I just saw the, uh, saw the dress in uh, the, ca- the cabinet or the drawer. And I was like, oh, that could be something interesting. Um, and I, we went and we stood in the corridor and I chatted to her about that idea. And she was like, stop, 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 stop. Don't, don't, don't tell me too much. Cause I'm immediately going to cry. Um, and, she, oh, wow. and I said, Becky, would you, would you be um, okay doing that? She's like, yeah, I just don't want to think about it right now because if I think about that right now, I'm going to cry because my daughter once gave me a dress and I couldn't see myself in the dress that my daughter gave me. And she like oh. started tearing up there. Um, and I was like, okay, okay, we'll just hold. And so basically we put a camera um, in the room um, and we all stepped out of the room. There was no one in the room, absolutely no one. We closed the door and we just ran the camera. Um, and then she gave that performance. Um, and for me, that project is very special uh, because of that, because it was so, it was so crafted with the people. Um, and I feel like that's kind of what I enjoy the most. Um, like I enjoy creating things that almost like, you know, are, um, abstract and ethereal and, but I really enjoy working with people and kind of crafting story with them. Um, and then, and then having them play their parts, you know, like play in, in their narratives. Uh, I haven't done that too much, but I feel like that's when I, when I work on my feature, I, I definitely want to go um, that route of um, really rely on, relying on street cast people. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, maybe like kind of, like I was mentioning earlier, maybe like one named talent, because I know that helps to get films off the ground. Sure, um, sure. But populating a film, just real people that can, you know, that's, from the neighborhoods that we're shooting in because uh, they will bring that quality and that I think just makes like you emotionally connect and you connect on a sense of authenticity. Um, yeah. 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 That's what they did for uncut gems. So uncut yeah. gems was all cast yeah. from street people. And then um, what's his name? Adam Sandler was the, was the center point. Exactly. They did it yeah, with yeah. good time as well. And they, you know, the yeah. same Jennifer Vendetti also did um, American honey um, which is kind of the, you know, it's Shia LaBeouf, the, yep. the big, big name, and then everyone else. And then also, um, she just did this film recently called Give Me Liberty. Um, uh, and the main talent in that is a guy called Chris Galoost, um, who I'm looking at for, you know, probably not going to listen to this, but um, <laughs> who, 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 who I think would be great for my film because it's set in Coney Island, Brighton Beach, which is where he's from. Um, oh, cool. And so it's, yeah, it's, it's, it is trying to find that really nice organic mix um, because I think, yeah, it really does translate. It just feels, feels authentic. Well, going back to this, this uh, beautiful short, uh, the medicine short, um, how did you find these two? Are they, are they people that you knew in your personal life or someone else knew? No. So Khalid had done, um, had done a shoot, uh, where they were extras. Uh, so Khalid the DP uh, and they were extras on that shoot. Um, and, uh, he was just kind of fascinated by them and told me about them. And, 
said, hey, would you be down to like do a documentary about them? And I'm like, yeah, sure. So we did these interviews um, and then we started chatting. We're like, oh, I wonder if we had the we had the interview sections, but we were like, I wonder, if, should we try this just as a, like a visual piece? Just, just to see. Um, yeah. And it, when I say documentary, like more kind of short form, like almost like rocket wars. Um, and then we, I cut it to this track medicine and it's just like, it, it works, you know, uh, it just works kind of as a visual, uh, as a visual piece. I mean, we wish when we, we went with, in with the intention of, of, of making it a music video when we shot it. But and um, when we uh, did the interview initially, we kind of shot a video for like we shot film for that um, and obviously captured that in audio. And then it took us like two months looking at it to go, um, maybe we can kind of craft a narrative out of this that could exist for a music video. And then like two months later, we went to go shoot that. And so somewhere mm-hmm. on a hard drive, there's still some like, you know, um, um, talking heads um, of them. Got the it, got it. Fascinating. And so, um, how big was your crew for this? Was it a small team? Was it a, yeah, was it a, I mean, it's maybe, maybe eight people, maybe, maybe yeah. 10 people. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. So that's interesting. So they were extras on something else. So they're not strangers to being on sets at that point. So they were, yeah. they were, yeah. Okay. That's yeah. from sense. a small town. So, so, so I, they were extras, but I don't, I don't think they'd ever been in anything else. So I think that where they were, so they're from Lone Pine. Um, uh-huh. and I think that, I think that might've been the first time they were on a project, not, not for mine, but the other project that they did. And then obviously for ours, um, they, um, I think it was their second, the second time. I dude, I thank you for answering these questions, by the way, because when you look at stuff like this from the outside, especially as another director and you look at this work and you're just like, fuck, you know, <laughs> you're right. sort of examining it going like, all right, if I had to plan this right, and if I had to cast for this, and how would I do that? But it's nice to hear that a lot of this is you really sort of taking advantage of what's coming to you. Right. And then this this process allows you to make these really amazing moments, which I think is also, for any of the creative directors that listen to the show, uh, take notes. I think it's also interesting to understand that stuff that feels this um, organic and immersive and beautiful is is something that is a derivative of something different than what is the stereotypical process to make these things. That's absolutely, that's absolutely right. So much. I mean, from my experience, I say that with such like confidence and inflection there, but I, I just, I totally relate to that, to that sentiment. It's, you cannot have the same process um, that you typically have in commercials and try and get something that feels as organic as this. So, you know, when, when directors write on their process, it's yeah. a really, really important part of a treatment. Um, because yes, you can have your script, but if you want, you know, the agency can have their script, but if you want it to feel like the director's others were other work, you have to allow for the process. My process involves street casting. My process involves shooting on film. My process involves shooting perhaps more days, smaller crew. In those ways, you're going to get something that feels closer to what my personal work or what my music video work feels like. Um, you know, if you have me storyboard everything, um, or even if you have me storyboard, like that, those things aren't storyboarded um, because it's yeah. organic. It's about like finding certain moments, you know, story. I, I believe, you know, storyboard is useful when you have to do something technical, you know, when you have to like, the camera has to move in a fun, kind of a funky way. Um, or you want to, 
relay something to um, a, a crew member or something that they don't understand or, you know, to an agency or cast. But just storyboarding for storyboarding, storyboarding's sake, sometimes it's just, you know, especially if you're holding mm-hmm. the, the, the director to that storyboard, you know. It's like you walk into the edit, okay, show me the storyboard part of this. It's like, oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. I find that when I board my stuff, I'm usually boarding stuff just to – my whole thing is this, I'm going to draw out some boards. So that way, if we show up to set and we were out drinking all night, we all have a hangover, just go to the boards and we know we have a thing. Right. But, but having those boards there doesn't mean that that's what it is. Right. Having those right. boards there is just a starting point. And so like if we hit a point where we just aren't finding inspiration, we're not finding right. that thing organically. Right. What were we trying to tell with the story? So you go back to the boards. Right. Um, I think it's this weird, for me, it's this very delicate balance. I learned this, sh- and I, I might have talked about it on the show already, but uh, tough luck, guys. You have to listen to it again. <laughs> uh, but uh, back when I was in film school, I went to school in New York years ago, and I came from sort of the Hitchcockian, uh, the love for film and storyboarding and everything, and I had storyboarded my my short film out to a T, to the point right. where I storyboarded it that way. I went and I shot it based on the storyboards, and then I went and edited based on the storyboards. It was a very right. fast process for me. And it was right. it was kind of satisfying. I think the most satisfying moment for it was when I was developing the storyboards. The rest of the time, I felt like I was uh, fulfilling a shopping list where I was just right. sort of going through and grabbing all these things. And I was cutting it on Steamback. So I was doing the old uh, tape and, et, you know, like cut and tape right. method. And I was in a room. I was locked in a room with about 15 other uh, Steambacks with other kids that were cutting their stuff and they were coming at it from a more organic process and I was watching how much fun they were right. having with right. the edit and so for me I've sort of uh, in my years of experience I've sort of swayed both ways pretty hard right. on different occasions and I'm now sort of finding myself riding in the middle where it's like there are sequences that I know are going to be very technically oriented and I need right. to board these things out right. but right. I also want to schedule my days so right. that I have at least like a two hour, two and a half hour flex room yes. to be available to go like, fuck this. Look at the light coming through that window. Let's go over there and let's play over there. Let's right. Do that. Right. You know? Right. Right. I, um, this, this, I, I glean so much from like listening to other people talk. So I'll probably quote a couple of people, <laughs> but, um, cool. I was listening to, uh, I was listening to Shia LaBeouf talk about his process and um, he's a dude that just like inspires me. Again, it's kind of cut from um, probably like the same cloth as the Safties, where it's just like you know mm-hmm. they, they prize authenticity um, and and things to feel kind of raw and gritty or kind of above all else. So there's that truth that they go after. But anyway, he was saying um, I think it was an interview that he did with uh, Kristen Stewart, uh, and he used to say um, he his ideas. Um, or how does he put it? His intuitions are better than his ideas. So mm. um, his ability to walk on set and try and execute his ideas will always leave him um, kind of underperforming than if he just kind of lent into, um, you know, what his intuitions are. Um, so to not get too heady. And again, I'm not saying this is the, the truth for everyone, but I, sure. I do know with myself that, um, if I become slave to the storyboard, I look back um, into my edit and I feel like things feel very rigid and cold. Um, and so I have to create space in my 
uh, shooting schedule uh, for improvisation. Um, yeah. And as soon as uh, as soon as there is allocation for every single board um, on on uh, on the on on the um, sorry call sheet or uh, schedule for the day, yep. I start to get very very nervous. So producers or ads for me. Um, they'll take all my story, storyboards and they'll just group them in big chunks, big two-hour chunks. Um, so everything isn't just, uh, you know, this long for this shot, this long for that shot, this long ah. for this shot. It's like, okay, no, this scene, here's all the boards. Um, if you move through them very quickly, and also all my storyboards are like at the top of my storyboards, it's like um, these are just rough guides um, meant to give um, the idea for how the beats of the story will flow. These aren't exact representations of what the shots are going to be just to protect me um, to be yeah. able to be spontaneous. Um, but anyway, that little bit um, has helped me a lot, just find space in my day um, to, to be a little bit more um, intuitive, leaning on my intuition a little bit more spontaneous. Fascinating. That's really cool, man. That's really cool. You know, I, I love this, by the way, because as a, I don't know if you feel the same way, but I, I oftentimes feel that being a director is sort of a very lonely, <laughs> right. lonely profession where you're kind of peeking in through the doorway and on other directors sometimes, or right. you're, you know, you're listening to like DVD commentaries and you're like, please just give me a little bit of information and like, give me a nugget. Yeah. yeah. Give me, give me something. And I, this is why I love this show because it's, we have the, the opportunity to sort of talk about all these little tricks and, 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 and techniques that necessarily I'm not going to take, but I'm just fascinated to see right. the or hear the process that you go through to create such a, an original image. And I think we live in a time period where a lot of filmmakers are completely obsessed with like, I need to shoot with this camera and I need to have these lenses and that's what makes this amazing. And if right. someone, looks at, someone looks at your work and they're sort of trying to dissect it technically down right. to the point where it's like, what do I have to purchase Right. in order to 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 make this work right. and it's just really refreshing and i think it's important for all of the young filmmakers listening to the show to understand that this stuff that we're talking about today is the stuff that is valuable this is the reason why you get hired for your work right is right. all of these little moments and your techniques and and your process right um, right yeah it's so true it's so true yeah. i mean you you see you walking out with a camera and, um, you know, with the right lens, the right camera, the right film stock, everyone can do that. It's now so clear that everyone can do that. Um, but I think the people that really separate themselves are the people that really understand their process and that really protect their process and that really know how to articulate their process so that other people understand it and respect it. Because without your process, um, you, you, you don't have anything unique to offer. Um, you have to, you have to at all costs <laughs> protect your process. Wow. That's a, such a powerful statement. That's such a powerful statement. And I feel, I keep, I keep hoping because I know that there's a lot of creative directors and folks that listen to the show. I just, I want to just scream that out <laughs> <laughs> and just be like, this is why you're hiring. I don't know how many times I've been hired to do something where someone will hire me to recreate a piece of work that I had before. And they're like, we're very specific about this. We would like the lighting and we would like this. And I'm like, great, here's the crew you hire. Right. And they're just like, what do you mean? I'm like, I'm taking credit for that gaffer's work. I'm taking credit for that key grips work. I'm taking credit for all the work that these guys did for this. 
Right. So right. just because it's on my website and it has my name running at the top of that fucking image, right, doesn't mean that I did all right. those things. Or I like meticulously walked behind each one of my crew members and said, "Okay, raise the light stand forty five right. degrees angle." Did this? None of that. No, no, so, no. So yeah, understand that when you're hiring a director, oftentimes you're hiring a, a crew and you're hiring right. a, a group of people that have all developed this 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 language together and that have all figured out a way to create a very specific sense of reality. Right. Right. You know. Yeah, so. I mean, I feel like, again, it's so, it's such, you know, it's such a hard, um, like protecting your process is the hardest thing to do in commercials because um, at every turn, um, mm-hmm. you are being questioned, um, you are being asked to, um, uh, you're asked to, to justify some of your decisions. Uh, these things that come so naturally to you um, agencies and clients might not have any bearing of, yes, they want the end result of what you're doing, but they're looking at your process and they're not trusting of your process. They're not trusting of this DP that you usually work with. Cause now all of a sudden his reel is a bit too dark. Um, or he doesn't car, doesn't have cars or it doesn't do fashion or whatever it might be. So they're looking mm-hmm. and microscoping in, um, on those things. Um, and they're picking it apart. Um, and, and, I would say understandably so because they've got a million dollars um, sure. riding on this thing, you know? Sure. And, and so um, it's really, again, the thing that I was saying earlier on, these are details. Like, you know, a client knows their product, but in the details of how to get there, they think they do, but they don't really. So you have to help them understand the details. So it's really on us. To I've realized this over the years. I, I used to fight against this. Like, man, they they say they want this thing that I've done, but they're like strong arming me in every aspect. And I've realized mm. it is really on me to help articulate, to become a better communicator and articulator back to them um, as to why these things are important to me. And sometimes you win that battle. If you're lucky, you win those battles. Um, and sometimes you don't win those battles and you just kind of have to like, in order to just to get through the day, you have to suck it up and you have to go, okay, this is probably going to be a money job. Um, I'm going to have yeah. to do the best that I can. It's not worth fighting. It's not worth, you know, making everyone enemies because I probably want to work with these guys again. Um, let me, let me be agreeable in this situation. And look, there's, Directors that disagree, that would probably disagree with me on that. Um, but some jobs, you just kind of have to go, hey, look, am I going to make more enemies out of this and have to compromise anyway somewhere on this project? Um, sure. And then it's ruined. And then I've made enemies. No, I don't want to do that. Um, let me let me, let me, me make these concessions and, and, you know, cross my fingers that maybe I could still cut something together. And one of the, one of the things that I had a conversation with someone yesterday about this is not every project is the same in terms of how much ground you can lose before this becomes unmanageable in terms of like, um, walking away with something that you can put on your reel, um, Mm. vignette films. I feel like you can lose 30, 40% of the battles, um, and still walk away with something that you can craft um editorially like you can lose the cast for that scene like the client is picking someone you don't really like or 
um, they're picking ta- um, locations that you don't really like. You know, you can lose 30% of the ground um, and still walk away with something. But if you're working on a narrative piece um, uh, for a client and they're picking the wrong talent, um, yeah. there's no way that you can cut around a bad talent that's in every single frame of your film. Mm. Um, so you can't afford to lose 2% of ground. And so, you, you know, that's when you're going to have to fight um, for the talent. Um, because if you lose that battle, doesn't matter if you get locations, doesn't matter if you get wardrobe, doesn't matter, you know, it's kind of gone. Um, yeah. So yeah, that's, yeah. that's you know, I, I've, I've realized that too. It's like, know what, know how much ground you can afford to lose. Know what type of project you're working on. Um, don't make unnecessary enemies. You know, stand your ground when it really is, you know, on the teetering point where you might lose the job um, in terms of just what it's going to uh, be real-wise for you. Um, or even like what you think is objectively going to make a good. Um, but not every situation needs to be, um, you know, life or death. You know, you can lose some locations. I mean, fight for everything, but don't make don't make enemies over it, you know? It's not worth it. Yep. It's not worth having a soured atmosphere on set. Um, between new agency and client um, for for something that actually could so easily cut out in your director's cut. Um, but when it comes down to it, and you you know you're working on some sort of narrative thing or something that's anchored by a talent, and you can't afford to lose it, you know, be a you know use your negotiating skills <laughs> um, and fight for it. So what did I tell you? Right? That was a good one. How many notes did you guys take? <laughs> How many little nuggets did you walk away into your toolkit? This is a toolkit building episode, guys and girls. This is important. This is good for you in your career. I hope you guys learned a lot. I'm very happy to have been able to bring this to you guys. I am more than thankful to Solomon for not only being on the show, but sharing these experiences this is like deep, deep dive stuff, man. A lot of people protect this stuff. And uh, I think it's just wonderful that he's willing to share this stuff with everybody. Um, and I hope you guys enjoyed it. Uh, third episode in a fucking row. Killer content, man. We're doing it, man. Liam's doing a great job putting these shows together. So as always, thank you to Liam uh, for putting these episodes out. He has been hustling. Uh, the poor guy had to deal with me on this episode. I told him it was at three o'clock but I meant three o'clock Eastern standard time. So he had to jump in last minute. Uh, he, well, he deserves an award just to put up with my crazy scatterbrain bullshit. So I appreciate it, Liam. Thank you. Um, and thanks as always, I haven't really given him a shout out in a while, but, uh, code electro, all that music that you're listening to on the show. It's our man code electro. Go check him out. Uh, he's on Instagram. It's electro. It's E L. Hold on. K T R O. I'm a fucking dumb dumb. This is another one of those scenarios where I should have looked it up because I can't remember off the top of my head, not because I don't go to his thing all the time, just because I'm a fucking idiot. You know what I mean? There we go. Okay, so on Instagram, it's code underscore electro, E-L-E-K-T-R-O, code electro. I know he's uh, selling off vinyls. I know he has a bunch of new music that we haven't played on the show yet. Um... He's fucking fantastic. And he's the reason why the show has the tone and the 
experience that it does. So, Martin, I appreciate it every time you get to play your music on this show. Um, and I appreciate you guys for tuning in. And I love you guys for actually promoting us. On the last episode, I asked you guys to reach out to me and say that you want to promote the show. Say, Mike, send me some graphics to promote the show. We'll get you some graphics. And if you do so, if you prove that you're promoting the show, I will send you a free link to see the 12KM short. Okay? People write to me every day. How can I see the short? How can I see the short? This is how you see the short. You write to me and you ask to promote the show. I'll send you some graphics. You do that. Send us some listeners. I'll send you um, a link to watch the short. I might ask you to do a review because I care about what it is that you think about my work. So, uh, yeah, that's it. And I hope you guys are staying safe. I hope you guys are staying sane. We're trying to put out as many COVID episodes as possible. Things are getting a little crazy right now because uh, we're deep, deep in uh, prep for this movie that hopefully happens when all this shit happens or finishes. Um, so, yeah. And as always, please go check out my Instagram at Mike Petchy at Instagram or the process at Love with the Pro- or the podcasts at in love with the process stuff. Jesus Christ, Michael. Or go to the podcast Instagram at in love with the process pod. That's in love with the process P O D on Instagram. <sighs> Heat kills me. Um, so, yeah. And uh, that's it, man. Super happy to be doing this. We're going to try to book more guests like this of this caliber as we continue racing towards 100 episodes. Uh, but in the meantime, stay with us and I will see you next Tuesday.